is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. One of the most famous characters in the Old Testament, in the Bible, is a guy by the name of David. Maybe you've heard of him. Quite a well-known character in the Old Testament. He's uh, a giant fighter, boy shepherd to start with, a psalm writer, an army leader, king of Israel. But it wasn't all good. He was an adulterer, a murderer. So a bit of a coloured, checkered history there. Quite an interesting person to study. Yet he was someone who is described as being after God's own heart. He was someone who ultimately loved God. And when he was challenged by the prophet of the day about his sin and his adultery and, and murdering, he repented and came back to God. And God was still able to use him, even, because, even though what, he's, what he had done. Now, when I was younger, which is not that long ago, clearly, when I was growing up, my parents were really into family history. Are any of you guys into family history? Some of, some of you are. Well, I remember as, as a child growing up, my parents really got into genealogy. And, uh, you know, I'd come home from school and uh, I'd come home of an evening and there on the dining room table would be sort of charts and plans and, you know, great uncle so-and-so's picture and, you know, family history going back indeed hundreds of years as my parents eventually got back to 1600 or, or, or something, which is not bad going. But if you look at David's family tree, as I think we'll do in just a moment. You find it is actually quite interesting. So our King David, you find that his father was somebody called Jesse. Jesse's father was somebody called Obed. And now you can see where I'm going with this, probably. His father was somebody called Boaz. Ah, you say. It is beginning to make sense. He hadn't got the wrong name after all. And if you go the other way from David, and if you go in the other direction, uh, a number of years as the next slide shows, eventually you get to somebody called Joseph of Nazareth, who married a young peasant girl named Mary. Sounding familiar? And she indeed was the mother of Jesus himself. So Boaz is in a pretty impressive family tree, isn't he? Now, when my parents did our family history, there were all sorts of, how do we put this, interesting characters. And one or two looked uh, reasonably impressive. Um, But this is a pretty impressive family tree. Now, that's that Boaz, and obviously our Boaz, oh, he's over there. 
our Boaz today is also in an impressive family tree, isn't he? As can be seen by the, uh, the, uh, the guests that are here. But his appearance, biblical Boaz, and we can lose that now, thank you, in the story of Ruth, in a book that is named after her, is also critical. Ruth's whole life turns on meeting this chap called Boaz. And just for a few moments this morning, I want us to, to look at that story. James and Naomi asked me if I would preach on the biblical character of Boaz. Well, that's all very well, but I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on Boaz. Now, I've been a Christian a long time, and I've heard a whole bunch of sermons, believe me. Some good, some less good, some excellent. But I, I never having, I, I can't think I can recall ever having heard a preach on Boaz. So it's a bit of a blank sheet of paper to start with. But I have enjoyed my blank sheet of paper and studying uh, in the book of Ruth in the last few weeks. And it's been good to get into it again. And so I'm going to read a, a short passage to you now. And uh, we're going to pick up the story. And then we're going to ask, what does God have for us? We haven't got long to look at this this morning. But really quickly, we're going to ask a few questions. What does God want to teach us this morning through this story of Ruth and Boaz? Does that sound okay? That's where we're going. That's the plan of what we've got. Okay, so Ruth chapter 1 says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrahites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Opa and the other Ruth. After they lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Happy story, isn't it? When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law has come back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. 
Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal ever so, may the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The, Lord, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Well, it's not a bright start, is it? It's not a really happy story. And you might think, oh, that's a really good passage to pick on a happy celebratory day like this. But it's where the story starts. And our interest is particularly in that last verse we read when we're introduced to this guy named Boaz. The writer is letting us into a bit of a secret that this is who he is. Actually, he's telling us what's going to happen a little bit later in the passage because Ruth doesn't yet know about him. But Boaz, it's clear, is an important character in the story of Ruth. And we don't have time this morning to read the whole book, but maybe you want to read it and get the rest of the story. You can do that in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. But I'm going to summarise the rest of the story for the sake of time. What does God have for us this morning from this great story? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the accounts of uh, Ruth and Boaz. And we pray now, Lord, that you might speak to us, you might apply your word to us, we might learn from it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, upon her return to Bethlehem then, Naomi sends her daughter-in-law, Ruth, out to the fields to glean. Now this is where the poor and the destitute could go at harvest time and they could pick up what the harvesters left behind. And it was customary in Old Testament times that you know, godly farmers you know, wouldn't, wouldn't harvest right up to the edge, but they would leave a little bit so that those who are poor and destitute, maybe widows, could actually get some food for themselves and take care of themselves. And so this is what Ruth is sent out to do. And she ends up going to a field that happens, in inverted commas, to be owned by a man man named Boaz. Was it a coincidence? Was it a surprise? Absolutely not. This was the plan of God. And Boaz is described as a man of wealth. Now if we read that, we automatically think that He was wealthy in a financial sense, don't we? We might interpret it in that way. And that's probably the case, but actually the Old Testament means it in far greater depth than that. He wasn't just financially wealthy. The expression is one that is uh, similarly used about Gideon, a man of valour. It can refer to moral worth or integrity. 
Actually, Boaz uses a similar phrase to describe Ruth when he's talking about her. One translation of the Bible in its commentary says this. It says uh, that Ruth is a woman of strong character. It's a similar phrase to a woman of noble character, the phrase that's used in Proverbs 31 to describe the ideal wife. And whilst we're not talking about Ruth this morning, we're talking about Boaz, it's interesting that the description of their characters is very similar. They are both people of integrity. They both take things uh, morally well. Both have noble characters. So Boaz looks out for Ruth and he tells his farm workers not to worry about where she picks up and if she, doesn't, if she sort of comes into the field a bit, that's okay to leave her alone and to allow her to glean, to gather whatever she wants and even to leave, make sure that they leave some for her. And when she goes home that evening and talks to Naomi, Naomi realises who it is that she's met. And Naomi immediately sees God at work. And immediately she sees that this is someone that Ruth could... And uh, she starts a plan for Ruth to get to know him. Now you might think that Naomi is being slightly uh, forceful in this. You might think that she's intervening in a rather unhelpful way. But bear in mind, in Old Testament times, in Near Eastern culture, and indeed in many non-Western cultures today, arranged marriages are the norm. It's not unusual at all. Some of you, even this morning, would have an experience of that. So for Naomi to be interested in setting up Ruth with someone that she could marry is an absolutely appropriate and right thing for her to be doing. But Boaz, it turns out, isn't just an interesting chap, isn't just somebody with good moral character, isn't just a man of wealth, isn't just somebody who's been looking out for Ruth. But we're told that he is, to use the phrase, a kinsman redeemer. Now that rather unusual phrase that we wouldn't often use in everyday language goes back to Old Testament law. And and briefly, it's it's this, it says in Leviticus 25, if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. And that person is referred to as a kinsman redeemer. It's important for a man to maintain his own property and his inheritance. That was very important in Old Testament times. And if he loses that, his nearest relative is asked to help. And similarly, if a man dies without leaving a son, again the importance is inheritance here, then again his brother is expected to take on his wife and fulfil his duty. So there's a family expectation there that's caught up in Old Testament law and practice. But whilst there is a duty to help, A kinsman redeemer can refuse. He doesn't have to. One of the commentators says this. He says, a kinsman redeemer has to be related to those in need, has to be able to help. He is under no obligation. His act is an act of love. You see, ultimately, it's an act of love. And so whilst there would have been an expectation here, maybe even an expected duty, the kinsman redeemer actually makes quite a sacrificial act. And so it can only be motivated by his love. So immediately the the writer here of the book of Ruth is making us think 
What's going to happen now? What's he going to do? Is he going to step up to the plate or is he going to walk away? What's going to happen next? If you imagine this was a soap opera, it is at this moment you would get the do, 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 do. And you have to come back next week for more. Because it's a bit of a cliffhanger. What's Boaz going to do? Well, the story goes on. We don't have time this morning to read it all. But we actually find out there's somebody else who's a closer relative than Boaz. <gasps> now what's going to happen? There's somebody else who is actually a closer relative. And so the expectation is on him, not on Boaz, to act. But rather than walk away and say, hey, not my problem, someone else can solve it, there's a closer relative, thank you very much, he can sort it out. What does Boaz do? He doesn't do that. Rather, he says, I'm going to act. I'm going to see what's going to happen here. And he gets together and he speaks to the individual that's a closer relative. Even though it's not really his problem, he could walk away He decides to act. Remember, this is a guy of noble character. And so he goes to this other individual and whilst it's clear that this uh, individual is prepared to buy back the land belonging to Elimelech, he doesn't want to acquire his widow, Naomi, or his daughter-in-law. And so because of that, he forfeits his, his right of redemption, which then passes to Boaz. Phew! Everybody says, thank goodness for that. It is going to work out well, we hope. Boaz is very happy to fulfil the expectations on him. And he buys from Naomi all the land of Elimelech and acquires for himself Ruth as his wife in order to maintain the family line. So Boaz and Ruth marry. God gives them a son. And they name him Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, as we saw in the family tree right at the beginning. And so the story ends there. And you think, well, it's a great story. But my question is this this morning. What does it mean for us? What can we learn? Is it just an interesting story? Might you say, oh, that's nice. There's somebody called Boaz in the Bible. It's a nice little story about him. No, actually, I believe God's got some things for us from this story this morning. So what do we learn? If that's the story, what do we learn? Number one, we learn this. God is faithful. God is faithful. The commentators talk about the book of Ruth as demonstrating God's love and God's grace. The whole story demonstrates his love and his grace. Boaz was gracious in the way he treated Ruth. God was gracious in the way he provided for Ruth and for Naomi. He is gracious. He is always gracious. God is always faithful, no matter what the circumstances or what the situation might be. Naomi talks about Boaz demonstrating a kindness towards Ruth, a a loving kindness. Time and again, God demonstrates his loving kindness to us. Time and again through the Bible, God demonstrates his loving kindness to his people when he could have justifiably been angry with their sin. His his mercy comes through time and time again. He demonstrates his grace and his love. 
One of the songs we sang a little bit earlier was Your Love Never Fails. And it's true. It isn't just a nice song, but it's a biblical truth. God's love never, ever fails. And that's the first thing we learn from the book of Ruth. Secondly, God is at work in the lives of those who love him. When Boaz comes on the scene in chapter 2, he greets his workers in the field with the phrase, the Lord be with you. Now, if his workers were good Anglicans, they would probably reply, and also with you. We're not told if they did that or not. But it's interesting that Boaz brings his relationship with God into the everyday. It isn't just a special days and holy days deal for Boaz. His greeting to his employees is, the Lord be with you. See, for Boaz, God is at work in his life all the time. God is very central to his life all the time. So too often, Western culture separates the sacred and the secular and tries to divide things up and says, okay, well, you can do religious things on a Sunday morning between the hours of 10 and 12, and the rest of the week, you know, you, you just compartmentalise, compartmentalise it, and it's not relevant. No, 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 not at all. That's not what the Bible says. That's not the picture we get in the Old or the New Testament, but rather, God is central to everything in our lives, all the time. Not just in certain hours on a uh, apparently religious day, but rather in every hour in every day. God is at work in the lives of those who love him. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God is interested in everything. Not just in what happens in places like this on a Sunday morning, but in art, in culture, in education, in life. All of it. God is interested in it. And God is at work in every way in the lives of those who love him. God is at work here in the life of Boaz and in the lives of Ruth and Naomi. And if you let him, he'll be at work in your life as well. So, firstly, God is faithful. Secondly, God is at work in the lives of those who love him. Thirdly, the book of Ruth reminds us that God cares for the poor. God cares for the poor. The book of Ruth talks about God's heart for the poor. The Jewish society was set up to care for the poor, to care for those who are able to easily look after themselves, for the widow and for others. This idea of gleaning and harvest time. You could have said, well, it doesn't make good economic sense. If you're a farmer, you think, well, I want to get the most out of my crop. I'm going to harvest all the way to the very edge, probably a little bit over the edge as well, just to make sure I get everything in so I can get a maximum return for my investments. That's the sort of language that we're used to in our culture today, isn't it? But in biblical times, it was, no, you don't harvest right up to the edge, but you leave space. You leave some there for those who don't have land and who can't look after themselves in the same way, that they may glean and get some food for themselves. See, God doesn't ignore the plight of the poor. His heart is very soft towards them. And it's a challenge for us. In a very consumerist Western culture, to remember the poor as well. And fourthly, 
And finally, this book of Ruth, the story of Ruth and Boaz that we've looked at very briefly this morning, is actually a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus. The whole story is a picture of what God has done for us in Jesus. Boaz is an Old Testament foreshadowing of what Jesus does many years later. Boaz was, this interesting phrase, a kinsman redeemer. Redeeming one family. He enabled one family line to continue. And it turned out it was quite an important family line, actually. But he had no obligation to intervene. He chose to. Demonstrating that faithful love that we talked about a moment ago. And similarly, Jesus didn't have to intervene but rather chose to be obedient to the will of his Father. Jesus came to redeem. And the Bible tells us that we were created for a relationship with God. That's why we were made. And God gave us a purpose and a way to live that honoured him. But mankind, that's you and I, rebelled and thought we could do things better and do things our own way. And we ended up in a position where everything had gone wrong and we couldn't put it right. And now actually nothing we do can put it right. (laughs) Nothing that you or I can do can solve that problem. Worse than that, we're actually under God's wrath and judgment because we've rebelled against him or sinned against him. And if that's where we ended this morning, that would be quite a depressing place to finish. But just like the book of Ruth, ends with a kinsman redeemer coming in. Our story doesn't finish there either because Jesus chose to come. It's the good news of the the gospel. God did something to restore things. He did what you and I couldn't do. He sent his son, the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Jesus took on himself the punishment that should have been yours and should have been mine and said, I'll take it. And in so doing, opened up the way for you and I to put our trust in him and to have our relationship with God restored. One verse in the New Testament says this, in Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What it means is, before we had any inkling that God loved us, before our hearts at all were turned towards him, he made it possible for us to do just that. While we were still sinners, while we were going in the opposite direction, while we had no interest in God whatsoever, Christ died for us. And the book of Ruth is a wonderful story of Boaz stepping in and acting as this kinsman redeemer on that family line. Jesus also chose to be obedient to the will of his father. Chose to sacrifice himself in order that you and I might have our relationship with God restored. So this morning, as we conclude, perhaps the band can come up, please. We've celebrated the gift of a new life in Boaz, 
It's Boaz Ray Green, isn't it? I got that right. In Boaz. We've also very briefly looked at this story of Ruth and Boaz and drawn out a few things that it teaches us. We've drawn out that it tells us that God is faithful, always. That God is at work in the lives of those who love him. That God cares for the poor. And it's a picture of what Jesus came to do for us. But ultimately, the story of Ruth and Boaz points us to Jesus. So one who came obediently, yet winningly, to do the will of his Father. And in so doing, made it possible for you and I, in the 21st century, to have a relationship with the living God. Don't miss that truth this morning. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a final song to finish our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story of Ruth and Boaz we've looked at this morning. Thank you, Lord, for all it teaches us. Lord God, we thank you that you are faithful always. We thank you that you are at work in the lives of those who love you. We thank you that you care for the poor. And thank you, Lord, that this story reminds us too of Jesus who came to be our kinsman redeemer. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for us. Thank you that you've made it possible for us to have a relationship once again with the living God. We thank you, Lord, that means that uh, you've forgiven us. We thank you for new life in you. Jesus, we thank you that you've given us plans and a purpose to live for. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. And we bless you, Lord, that we can know you and love you. We pray, Lord, that this story of Ruth and Boaz will continue to teach us and come alive to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, sing together as we finish. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at 